Hey there, folks. Alex Oaks here, and welcome back to Classic Camera Revival. If you have been living under a rock and or just completely avoiding social media, which I really don't blame you these days, you probably haven't seen one of the newest arrivals to the film photography community, and that is Kelsey Smith. He has hit the ground running. He has been blogging YouTube, TikTok, and he has freaking made his own book. So today we are going to welcome Kelsey Smith to the podcast. Um, I think this is my cue. Roll the intro. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. And we're back. So, Kelsey, first of all, welcome to the Classic Camera Revival podcast. I think you are... This is the first podcast you've been on to really promote your work. Yes, it is the first podcast I've ever been on, actually. I'm very excited. Very happy to be here. Well, I'm looking at the video, and you certainly have a better setup than both Bill and I do for recording. Oh, God, yeah, video. we're ghetto. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I stole this microphone from my brother, had to get him to come in here and set it all up. He makes music, so I didn't know what I was doing with sound, but I think he got it to work. So <laughs> there, you there we go. go. Well, it definitely sounds good. So the most horrible question of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Yeah, that's a that's a really tough question, but I'll I'll try my best. So my name is Kelsey. I am a film photographer from Macon, Georgia. Um, I've been shooting films since about 2016. My girlfriend's dad actually introduced me to it. Um, I was really into digital before and didn't even really think about film at all since I was like a little kid, you know, when it was my parents were walking around with the point and shoots and everything. And then film just kind of disappeared in my life, at least for a while. And so my girlfriend's dad reintroduced me and I fell in love so quickly. Like <laughs> it was insane how quick it just caught on. And I just got that bug. And then my, my dad actually gave me um, his Canon F1 that he used in high school. Um, and that just solidified it. I was like, I'm film only. I'm done with digital. No more of that. <laughs> Nothing against digital, but film is film is my thing. That was a, that was a nice burp there. <laughs> yeah, it's the IPA talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get there soon too, I'm sure. <laughs> so what about the F1 made you really like using that camera? I mean, Bill Smith is a big Canon fan. I've used both I original just, correct. F1, I'm both can F1. I'm a Nikon guy at heart, but I do shoot a fair bit of Canon FTs. So I play both sides of the street. <laughs> Same here. I've just started getting into uh Canon myself, just got an AE1 and I have EOS bodies kicking around. Okay. So gotcha. what makes you love the F1? Yeah, so the F1, yeah. Um, so I immediately fell in love with it just honestly because I couldn't see the pictures immediately. And I am typically a very impatient person. Um, so being able to slow down um, and learn a new skill, because at that time I, I didn't really know how photography worked. I was into it, but I didn't know aperture, ISO, shutter speed. That was just a complete foreign concept to me. And the Canon F1, you know, I had to learn all of that. And so my first few roles were absolutely, <laughs> absolutely awful. Um, but then I started to get the hang of it you know, overexposing by 10 stops, underexposing by 10 stops, half the roll is, you know, one way, half the roll is the other. It was a huge mess. Um, but I think the thing that really connected with me with the F1, first of all, the build quality, phenomenal. Very, very well-made camera, very fun to hold, feels good in the hands. But I would say a, a huge part of what made it so special to me was that it was the one that my dad used when he was in high school. Um, so there was that personal connection. His grandmother actually bought it for him. So there was just a lot of like family history behind this camera, which mm. really just immediately drew me to it. I think both Bill and I can totally get where you're coming from. We oh, both have... I was out shooting with my dad's, like I have my dad's circa 1960 Nikon F. It's the oh, one with the eye level yeah. prism. So you got to have a handheld mm. meter. And I was shooting with that. And uh, it was one, sort of one of those sort of yeah, I needed a connection because my dad passed 18 years ago. So it's, mm. and my mom recently passed. So I'm kind of like sort of dealing with all that sort of baggage. And it's sort of, and again, I'm also looking at moving it in the next six months. So it's a lot of stuff happening all at once. And it's like, yeah, I need a little mm -hmm. bit of, 
yeah. branding. So I pulled that out. And again, it's it, it's a very simple camera because there's no light meter. It's just yeah. light type box, bulb to one thousandth of a second, and off you go. And it's built like a truck and probably oh, yeah. probably need an overhaul in another 10 years. It was last overhauled in 2006. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, the, the mechanical They just keep cameras, going. Yeah, they just hold their weight. I have not done a single thing to that F1, and it, it runs is it a exactly 19, the same as how I got it. Is it a 1970s vintage F1? It's the F1N. Okay, not, so, okay. so is it the one that was built in the 80s or with the 6-volt battery or the earlier one from the 70s that... It is, I believe, the one in the 80s. Um, okay. All I know is that it's the F1N. Uh, I have a, like a general concept of when it was made, but hmm. yeah. Either I way, they're great cameras. <laughs> like I've got That's a true. couple F1s, and again, they're also workhorses. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Um but that's not the only camera you, you seem to have. A, um, I think there's a red dot in your collection somewhere. I do indeed have a red dot. I actually have it right over here, just out of frame. Uh, this is the M6 TTL, like an M6 TTL. Uh, beautiful. This thing is incredible. I literally cannot be without it. It is constantly attached to my body, and I am just in love with that camera. Yeah, I've been playing with... Uh... Oh, nice. An M4P. I've got in my it's, kit. It's on loan. I should not purchase one of these. They are they are <laughs> very dangerous. But I'm I'm not oh, yeah. really a rangefinder guy. But this camera—that's how I was. Other rangefinders just didn't really click with me. I had the uh, the Canon. What is it? The Q something seventeen. Why can I not think of what it is? QR seventeen. Oh, the um. The Why can I not think QL17 the Canonet. QL17. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah the Canonet. Yeah. Um, I gateway used drug. That. <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. I I used that and I was like, I like this rangefinder thing when I first started using it. And then I just I couldn't really I didn't really vibe, I guess, with the uh the QL17. And then I got this like just wanted it for a handful of years and finally pulled the trigger and probably shouldn't have money wise, but <laughs> it's been very worth it. Money is replenishable. Time isn't. <laughs> yeah, it exactly, is. Exactly. Exactly. It is. It so is. what lenses are you using with your M6? Uh, so I currently don't have Leica lenses. I know that is a, a huge sin. <laughs> there is a member of our podcast that has is quite opinionated on the subject. Yeah, being I, the owner of both an M3 and an M4 too, I have two native Leica lenses: the 90 f4 Elmar that's collapsible, plus a collapsible okay. 50 f2 Summicron. They both live with my M3 that was also my dad's, and my M4. I've got a Canon 51.8 lens on it. Ooh, that's nice. And I have a Voigtlander, uh, Voigtlander color scope R35 2.5 okay. lens that I have on a. M mount adapter and I've got some Canon glass as well. So it's really just kind of like you're just kind of all I, over the I, place. There's no shame <laughs> in throwing Voigtlander and Zeiss glass on it. Like granted the purists will have a, a seizure, but well, yep. tough luck for them. This is the uh, this is the seven artisans 35 F2. Oh, okay. And I've been pretty interested in those. I, I haven't I've, used one. I've myself. been sort of on the fence with those too. I've been thinking yeah. I've shot one. two rolls through this and mm -hmm. not a problem. Plus, you can get these on the used market. Well, at least here in Canada, I saw some at um, Burlington Camera, our local crack den, um, <laughs> aka camera shop. Um, they're they're six seven hundred dollars for an M mount, and so Pretty solid. If you're yeah, spending yeah. Burlington on Camera, a, uh, I wound up picking up a Nikon S two. Ooh. Um, just going by there and just every time you walk in, you've got to buy something. I, I know well, how it I've is. Been a good, <laughs> I've been a good boy. I actually sold, I, I traded in all my K, Pentax K-mount gear and walked out with two autofocus Nikon lenses, a 22.8 and the 85.18 because those were holes I needed to fill in my kit. But it was like, okay, I'm not going to get any more cameras. I'm not going to get them. Tuesday, I walk in to get some film processed and it's like, and then lo and behold, on the shelf, I'm like, is that what I said? And I was like, $350 US. Now, granted, it's got a Jupiter 8 lens on it. I just ordered a mm -hmm. proper Nikon Nikkor 50F 
HC in S mount because Jupiter eights and Nikon don't exactly play well together. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they do mount, they don't play well together. Gotcha. Yeah, I uh, I've got the Nocton, the thirty five one point four Nocton two, um, phenomenal lens. Oh, it I, is. Like I, that's on I, uh, my shopping list as well. <laughs> yeah, um, I originally got it uh, when I got the M6, and I was like, okay, I'm going to use this for a while. I just spent way too much money on the body, but I just really wanted the rangefinder, um, and I'm very impulsive, so I couldn't help it. <laughs> and <laughs> I got the Nocton with the intention of actually switching it out eventually, saving up and, and getting the, the Summicron, um, but... I've loved the Nocton so much that I, I haven't felt the need to switch, to be honest. Like looking at how sharp that lens is, how beautiful it renders, you know, micro contrast. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's got like a, a slight warmth to it, mm -hmm. at least I've noticed in my copy, at least. Um, and I just love that. That is, that is definitely my thing. Well, I also have a Canon 51.4 in Leica screw mount, and I had it on my M4. Too, and I took it into another local camera store up in Georgetown. The guy who owned that, he passed. His son took it over, but he was a factory trained Leica guy. He took one look at that Canon lens and said, that's a seriously good lens, which is wow. kind of weird because the Leica snobs who will probably spend stupid money on the 50 F2 Hysterical only to take pictures of their cat. Yep. Meanwhile, the real hardcore guys, are, that 51.4, the Japanese Simulox, that's a good lens. Yeah, they'll go out and buy like a $50 Jupiter lens and just be like, no, it's fantastic. I love this Jupiter lens. <laughs> it's a character lens, as they say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. And the, um, like you said, the uh, very warmth rendering. I mean, one of our other um, co-hosts, um, they can't be here tonight, um, actually took a look through your work earlier today and was like good golly nice. miss molly absolutely stunning very nostalgia-esque feel to your work and i really think that that well, lens you. um really lends itself well mm -hmm. um especially with um your work with lamography 800 what so you work with lamography 800 what other film stocks do you like to uh so honestly, uh, ninety percent of the time, if you run into me on the street, I'm going to have Lomo 800. Doesn't matter midday, nighttime. It is just my film stock. I uh, I just fell in love with it first time I used it and just completely shifted. I was a Portra 400 fanboy for a while, and then after then I bought tried a Leica, like couldn't afford it anymore. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's a very good point with the current <laughs> pricing. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Black and white. Do you shoot any of it? Shoot any of what? Black and white film. Oh, black and white. Yes. So I haven't in a while, um, but I'm a huge Tri-X fan uh, when I shoot it. So I don't know if you've noticed, like my work is very, uh, very punchy, lots of color, uh, very warm and pretty, I would describe it as airy. I don't really know mm. how else to describe it really. Um, That's about right. But when I shoot Tri-X, yeah, when I when I shoot Tri-X, I go on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. I want it like crunchy and grainy and just really dramatic. So it's a whole different side of my work that really no one even knows exists. <laughs> I used to post some black and white for a little bit, and then I was like, no, I mean, color's my thing. But yeah, black and white definitely has a place in my heart. Um, I actually, for my next book, kind of want to put out a black and white book. I haven't told anybody nice. that yet, so... Mm. Y'all get y'all get to hear it first, but I think I might do that. I haven't fully decided yet. Nice. Now, speaking of books, you just recently released um, your very first book. Um, so tell us a little bit about it. What's the theme of it? Where? What sort of film and camera did you use for it? And just the general process. Yeah. So I released my first book. Um, I actually published it through Blurb Self Publishing. Um, would highly recommend it. We can talk more about that later if you want, but um, it's titled Please Don't Leave Me. Uh, it is a tribute essentially to my hometown, my youth, uh, my friends and my family, and just the way that things change over time, of course. I, uh, mm. I don't deal with change super well, um, and after graduating college, there was a whole lot of that. And so uh, my way of adjusting was to go out and document my hometown and take pictures of things that reminded me of my childhood. Um, so the entire book is just filled with nostalgic just yeah. places from my childhood. 
And that's what I found when I was cruising through your, your Instagram feed. And again, it's a combination of camera lens, film stock. But it just sort of took me back to like late 1980s, mm-hmm. early 90s to some regards. Mm. Yeah, it's I, I was born in 96, so I'm a little past that. But um, okay, I, wow. Okay, I definitely... then we'll move it forward a bit. Early 21st century then. <laughs> yeah. Fast forward um, a little bit further. Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of going back into like, you know, my my parents kind of time okay. period, um, but mixing it with like a contemporary kind of twist. Mm. So, um, see, now I'm getting the, the beer burps. But um, my, um, my work has been described as uh, both like, you know, old, but also contemporary at the same time. Mm. And I think personally, I, I like that label. It, it makes sense to me. I've, it just, that describes my work better than anything else that I've really come mm. across. Um, I don't really know where else I was going with that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> well, I think you successfully made both of us feel old at the same time. Uh, yeah. Y'all are not. Y'all are not. I I feel old though. I'm I'm 27, but I I feel like I'm getting up there at this point. <laughs> I turned 40 this year. <laughs> hey, you're still Kids, super young. Please, I turned 55 at the end of August. <laughs> there we go. 55 is still young. I don't think. Oh, it anyone, is. <laughs> no one is. I, I just become a even crustier Gen Xer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can be considered old until you're in your 70s, and even then, it's just a state of mind. It just depends on exactly how you awesome. how you act. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, have you been um, have you been taking your photography, documenting your, your? I've seen you've also been traveling a bit. Like you've been up to Maine, which is yes, beautiful I, part of the country. Being a kid who grew up in Montreal, uh, our my parents took us down to Maine on family trips in the nineteen seventies, and it's on my list of places to return to at some point. Yeah, I drove Maine. Through, I drove through Maine back in uh, 2016 and um, just traveled along the coast, hitting up old forts and eventually ended up in uh, Castine, which was um, just this beautiful little small town. Gotcha. Yeah, I um, that was actually my first visit to Maine. Um, I've actually never really been up to the Northeast. Jeez, the, be- <laughs> the beer's getting to me. Um. <laughs> Let me start over. <laughs> so that was actually my first trip to Maine. Um, my girlfriend actually planned it. She was like, do you want to do this? I am not good at planning. I just kind of show up and do what I'm told. So <laughs> she planned it uh, for my birthday and flew out there. And I will say that was the most beautiful place I've ever been in life. Acadia mm-hmm. National Park is absolutely stunning. We got there and I was just we went up like on these cliffs and we were overlooking the ocean and like the rocky beaches that they have mm. and i was just like staring just like mouth open like this is like unreal to me it was just mm. mind-blowing to see and don't even get me started on how many pictures i took that i haven't shared <laughs> but i, oh, I, I ran through some rolls of film. probably even then you sit there going, i've only scratched the surface oh yeah no there was so much stuff that i wanted to see that we didn't get a chance to it's it's beautiful up there and really just about anywhere in Maine is beautiful across the board. Now I've only been to Southern Maine, like sort of like Port, probably Freeport, Portland points south mm-hmm. to like the New Hampshire border into Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is really beautiful. Like uh Molly Kate of Eclecticrome, I think would visited, I think when she was visiting family in Boston, she went up there last fall and it was like, I hadn't been in that neck of the woods. Well, let's just say a very long time. We'll leave it at that. And I sat there going, yep, that's also on the, the list of places to return with, you know, probably a trunk load of film or, oh yeah, or probably a cooler. I was, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, cooler of film. That, that's probably the way to go. You could probably run through that whole entire cooler in a week, honestly, with all, <laughs> all the beautiful stuff up there. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Um, I actually, I, <laughs> my girlfriend was concerned that I was going to drown actually while we were there. Um, I posted that picture of the, uh, the lighthouse. Um, I think it's Bass Harbor lighthouse, I believe mm-hmm. is what it's called. And I climbed way down these rocks. Cause I was like, I have to get this angle. Like this is the shot. Like I have to get it. So I'm like climbing down the water's all coming up. My feet are soaked. I'm trying to like work my tripod into the rocks to make sure that it doesn't fall in the ocean. Um, but I managed to get the shot. I was super thrilled about that. Um, but yeah, I, 
I was being a little reckless, and I'm very scared of heights, so oh, it's probably you're, you're in good company there. You just have to be mindful when you're you're in a place like Maine. When does the tide go out, and more importantly, when does it return? Yes, <laughs> it is so quick. I am not used to that down here in the south. Especially if you either. wind up in the Bay of Fundy, which is a bit further north of Maine, you're going into New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. The tide will just disappear, and it's like this giant silt flat. And then it's like a few hours later, the ocean returns. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It's magic, kids. It's it's honestly surreal. I, you know, had seen that. It was common knowledge to me. I was like, okay, that happens, you know, in the UK. That happens in Europe. The tide just like empties out and all the boats, you know, touch the ground. All the water's gone. But seeing it, I, just in my head, it just like didn't register. In other words, you haven't like, been to coastal Georgia, have you? <laughs> I, I have, but it it was so much quicker, like so mm. quick. Like I'm used to the tide, you know, taking like half the day. But this was like, I went down there, it was dry. And then 15 minutes later, my feet are underwater. And I was like, this is, it's crazy. Yeah, it is. It is completely different um, that close, um, well, closer to the equator than mm-hmm further up north, having visited Hilton Head um, in the past with my family um, before you were born, probably, or around (laughs) when you were born, Um, and then having visited out east Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, um, Maine, tide works completely different. Yeah, it is is wild. I I really want to get up to Canada one day. Um, You were talking about uh, how you went to Maine and it's a place that you wanted to go back. And my place is Canada and Alaska, because when I was 13, my grandparents took me there. They were like, what do you want for your birthday? And, you know, for our 13th birthday in my family, my grandparents want to do something big for all of us. So, you know, my brother's like, I want to go to a theme park. And my cousin's like, I want to do, you know, some other random small thing. And I was like, I want to go to Alaska. Like, I want to go, I want to go on a cruise to Alaska. So that's what we did. And I obviously wasn't into photography at that point. I was 13 years old, but those memories are like just ingrained in my head. And I just wish I could go back in time with my camera because beautiful. Yeah. I know that feeling. There's a bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. in, um, that have disappeared from, uh, where I live that I would love to go be able to go back and, and just document there's, um, an old an old flour mill, um, abandoned paint factory. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah. No. Um, so you mentioned um, that you self-published your work through Blurb. Both Bill and I yes. have done a lot of stuff through Blurb. Um, for those who who are listening who haven't used Blurb, what have your experiences been with it? Yeah. So I made my photo book. And I actually, they have a whole bunch of different options for like, you know, the binding of the paper, what kind of book you want. Um, and I decided that I wanted a hardcover, but I also wanted softcover options because mm. hardcovers are just so expensive and I, I don't feel right charging that much money. Um, even if I sold it, you know, for no profit, it still felt too expensive for me. But I wanted to give people that option if they wanted one. Um, so I did the trade book, uh, for the soft cover, which was phenomenal. Um, the price to the quality is exceptional. Um, you know, get a, get a book for $15 and then it's just beautiful. Like the, the rendering of the pictures is great. The paper's great. Um, I just had a, I had a great experience and, um, Blurb made it really easy with their, is it called the book, right? Is that the name yeah. of the software that they use? Yeah. Nice. Makes things nice and easy. I've done every yes. every single book that I've done through through Blurb, through the uh, gotcha. book, right? I've done yeah. my zines through book, right? I, ha- I, mm-hmm. I have a book project that is, I'm still working. It. <laughs> yeah. That's, and, it's, that's... Uh, and again, it'll probably be trade paperback just to keep mm-hmm. costs kind of reason. What I love about Blurb yeah. is, you can set up sort of a virtual storefront. So you're not exactly holding inventory. Whereas if you're kind of going through mixed right. bag and others, it's like you're committing to a quant- a print run quantity. And it's like, mm-hmm. then you're kind of sitting here going, harassing all your friends. Are you sure you don't want to buy my <laughs> copy? And it's like, yep. and you go to a house, like, hey man, I've got like, and it's like, you're just like at a point, oh, oh fuck off already. Please stop. Just <laughs> yeah. stop. <laughs> Whereas with Blurb, you just sent out the link saying, hey, anyone's interested, 
Mm-hmm. And right now I've got, I think, one or two projects, zine projects are this far away from publishing, but it's just like right now it's kind of like I just got too much on my plate to kind of press yeah. publish. And yeah. because again, you're I'm moving in a, in a few months, I just kind of keep the stuff count down <laughs> yeah no i don't i don't blame you yeah you, you don't need more on your plate when you're moving no. for sure no Absolutely not right not. now oh no um speaking of that though i actually did purchase a lot of the books up front and quotes sort of up front i did like a little pre-sale to kind of gauge interest hmm. um because i wanted to be able to sign them uh that was really important to me um it being my first book I, I just wanted like an actual piece of me apart from, you know, just the images. I wanted to like have a direct physical um, impact on the book. So I wanted to sign and number them all. So I kind of ran a little pre-sale, got an idea of how many to order and then ended up ordering um, a little more than I thought I would need. And they actually went really well. And I just got them in like literally 15 minutes before we started the podcast. They showed up at my door. It's incredibly heavy. Uh, trying to bring it in here was ridiculous, but um, I liked the option to set up like the storefront on Blurb. I do think that that's fantastic. I think that is something that I will pursue more um, for the next one and, you know, more copies down the road uh, of this photo book. But like I said, I just, I wanted that intimate connection with it in the same way that like, you know, film is such a, a physical medium. I also wanted like the actual book to be something that I could hold in my hands and sign and, you know, give my own, my own little, uh, my own little touch to it. Oh, absolutely. It is, it is just incredible to see your work in print. So well, thank you. There's, there's one of mine. Oh, that's beautiful. Is that still available? Might have to um, grab one. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my more expensive ones gotcha. because of just the size of it. Yeah. And then they're the smaller one, but yeah, no, they're, it's just an absolutely fantastic company to work with and do stuff for. Definitely. Um, they have those options to set up, to sell through Amazon and all those other services. And mm-hmm. I tried that out. Um, so I do have my book available on Amazon, which is surreal. If you had told high sc- lazy high school me that I would publish a book someday, I would have laughed <laughs> in your face, but, um, yeah, it's like surreal to see that. Um, and it's, it's just really, really neat. Honestly, it's a, it's a great company for sure. Um, they reached out after I published the book and they wanted to like, I don't really know. They wanted to promote it or something. And they, they asked me to like fill out all this stuff and like what the book meant to me and pretty much a lot of the questions that you've been asking, (laughs) I basically (laughs) just filled out and sent to them and I don't know what they're doing with it, but I, I guess we'll see. They they do send out like uh, email blasts. Um, okay. For uh, to like their anyone who's ever ordered or is a user of the site, they they feature they feature certain books. So that's that's pretty huge for you. That's that's really awesome. I'm definitely mm-hmm. very excited, very humbled. I, I was not expecting um, the <laughs> the love that the book got. I. I was talking to my parents and I was like, yeah, I'll probably sell like five. Like it'll, it'll be to my grandparents and like, you know, my really close friends that feel like they have to. So, um, seeing the, the, um, the reaction that it got was absolutely surreal. Um, it was very emotional to be honest. I, it made me very happy to see because I I would not have expected that many people to resonate with my work. I just, a lot of times I feel like I'm just making garbage, <laughs> to be honest, just like mundane pictures of like, oh, old car or like, oh, this is like an old house or whatever. And uh, I forget that like that obviously connects with a lot of people um, in the same way that it connects with me. So it's just really cool to see that other people mm. um, are interested in something that I'm so passionate about. And that's just really humbling. I, 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 I really... Think- and I think you've hit on a on a major theme. Like a lot of people these days are trying to shoot for everyone else to, you know, yeah, be trendy, follow follow the trends, use use the trend. Game camera, the algorithm, the, I believe, is the proper proper term. game. The algorithm, oh, yeah. absolutely. And I think it's more important for us to shoot the stuff that we love that resonates mm-hmm. with us. And when we shout that proudly out to to the world, I think other people will latch onto that. They'll they'll latch on to that energy, that passion, mm, that I agree. 
<clears throat> Bill has for what he shoots, what I have mm-hmm. for what I shoot. Um, I love I love doing a lot of stuff relating to uh, history, um, okay. Canadian history, military history, or just really interesting stories, <laughs> small towns that you've never heard of. That is like, oh wow, this this yeah. town actually really has has a history to it. There's there's stories here, these buildings that are still standing, um, the statues mm-hmm. that you see, and I think if you are very proud about what you do and you do it for yourself first, I think people will latch on to that. And I think that's what's truly drawn me into your work. Well, thank you. That passion that you have for what you do, what you shoot. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I I definitely, like I assume most people listening and probably all as well fell into the, the algorithm trap for a while where, you know, there's like trendy thing that everyone's doing. I have to, I have to do it or I'm going to like get left behind or whatever. So it definitely feels good to kind of get out of that. I'm not going to lie. Definitely still eats at me a little bit. Sometimes it's, it's hard to avoid the, the social media overlords, I guess. (laughs) The suck. (laughs) Oh yeah. Mm. Big time. (laughs) So what's on deck for future travels anywhere you kind of want to go explore aside from Canada and Alaska, which is, yeah that is canada's canada's a big place it's like saying hey, yeah i want to go visit the u.s well that's <laughs> lovely where exactly yeah. you do realize <laughs> the time is involved like i've got cousins over in the uk who oh can we go to montreal for the afternoon and it's like uh it's a six hour drive mm-hmm. <laughs> do you want to buy yeah. plane tickets <laughs> <laughs> so that's a really hard question for me to answer um because i kind of just want to see everything i know that's such a cop-out answer but i i'm a sucker for experiencing new things um one place that i really want to go to i haven't shared a lot of it recently um but i'm really into street photography Mm -hmm. uh as someone who can be very shy very quiet um street photography really helped me get out of my shell um i was horrified to take pictures of people um when i first started doing it but now i feel comfortable as long as i have a camera in my hands and it's actually fascinating because i can walk down the street and someone can see me take a picture of them and it doesn't bother me anymore but like i can make eye contact with somebody on the street but if i don't have my camera i can get uncomfortable so the camera has just like become this crutch to like help me through Mm. social situations, which I I have found to be really interesting. Um, But going back to where I want to travel, specifically in Canada, I want to go to Banff really bad. Stunning. Um, Yeah, it's it's on my list too. Mm -hmm. Um, I have this one plan to hop. It's probably when the dust settles in my life. I want to, sadly, you can't go through Banff anymore by train. Uh, Mm. The Canadian goes further north through Jasper, so which is a bit of a drag because my plan is to take Via's Canadian from Vancouver back to Toronto. Oh, nice. While they still have the old school stainless steel bud coaches. Because oh. <laughs> like they're going to retire them in a few short years. Mm. And you don't want to go Toronto to Vancouver because it's never arrives on time. And if you've got a flight planned, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably not worth the risk. No, as an so American, it's, it's kind of like it's it's sort of like, hey, I want to take Amtrak, like say the Sunset Limited, you know, between LA and New Orleans. Maybe you want to start in LA and work your way backwards to New Orleans because mm-hmm. <laughs> you are yeah. kind of hostage to freight traffic, and you know, For which sure. is a, a drag compared to other parts of the world where passenger rail is a little more taken seriously. Yeah, and I, I think y'all have it better than we do in the U.S. I, <laughs> it's our our public. Public transit's not the not the best. Well, um, public especially in smaller decent. areas, like regional what... in southern Ontario. I can get like I live outside of Toronto, and I'm I visit mm-hmm. my girlfriend in the city, so we alternate between Toronto and where I live in Oakville. So it's like half hour walk to the train station. I pack a couple days worth of clothes, my camera gear, and a backpack. Hop train, hop subway. I'm at my girlfriend's place in about so an right. hour and a half, maybe two on the outside, depending which route I take, but no. it's, but inner city, it's a little, it's a shadow of its former self. Like in theory, I can take the train to New York city with the maple leaf, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but wow. It stops for two hours in Niagara Falls, New York. So we clear customs because everyone gets off the train. U S border and customs protection goes on board with the drug dogs looking for stuff. That's not supposed to be there. 
Mm-hmm. And then you get back on. And so the trip back, it's the same deal when you cross into Canada, Niagara Falls, Canada, you get off the train, you know. And yeah, that the the station you stop at, I mean, it's pretty historically significant within the oh. realm of railway history. It's just, again, mm-hmm. it's a shadow of its former self Yeah, as well. Which is a shame because it's sort of like air travel being what it is. Like I'd sooner take the train in New York and not had, you know, you know, playing with the cat, la- the cat, the cat scanners at the airport. <laughs> oh yeah, because <laughs> all it takes is one grumpy security screener. It's like, no, I am not going to hand check your film. Into the scanner it goes. Yep, that was that was a problem when I was going to Maine. Um, the Atlanta airport's usually really good about stuff like that, but I had a TSA agent that was not really having it. Uh, and they were like, "It'll be fine," and I'm like, "It's 800 speed. I know it might be fine." but I would prefer not to send 30 rolls of film through the scanner. Uh, wouldn't really be my preference, but luckily they, they did it. But honestly, I don't even. Well, the problem is I, it, it all depends <laughs> whether the airport you went through has a CAT scanner because the mm-hmm. new CAT scanners will bake film regardless oh, of what we yeah. sell. Yeah. Um, last time I flew um, Pearson in Toronto, the agent had no problem one roll of 100 speed film they're like yeah sure no problem hand it here you'll pick it up Mm -hmm. at the end and this is pearson right super busy airport now it wasn't busy where we were going we were just flying within canada yet regina which is about 20 times smaller than pearson fargo eight (laughs) gates all in one building oh wow okay (laughs) very small Um, and uh they were like oh yeah no problem and just sent it through their x-ray machine it's like a of the two airports I was expecting to go through at Pearson, not Regina. Yeah, Thankfully, that's so again, weird. X-ray machine, hundred speed film, no issues. So yeah, as yeah. long as it's the old school X-ray f- scanner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I have heard those ones that uh, you do your your like actual luggage through, like the stuff that's not in your carry-on. I don't know why I cannot think of the term for what that is, <laughs> but your luggage, um, the X-rays that it goes through, the new ones that you're talking about, I've heard are just. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 yeah, the CAT scanners, they're running them through with care with carry-on now in certain US airports. Oh. Heathrow, Schiffel, like they're just being rolled oh, out at major airports. It's worldwide. in uh it's at uh Schiphol in uh the Netherlands in Amsterdam. Yeah, Schiphol, yeah. Hmm. There you go. Huh. My apologies to our Dutch audience. <laughs> <laughs> you'll know more airport. than you'll know more than I do. You, you know us Americans and our geographer. <laughs> <sighs> Mm. Um, so other than travels, where are you going next with your photography? Like what sort of projects are kicking around in that brain of yours? Yeah. So I definitely want to continue, um, taking pictures of, you know, similar themes, uh, that I've, I've been doing. I, I do think that the, please don't leave me project. I, I know I released a book, um, and I've been working on it for three years, maybe a little over three years. Um, a lot of the pictures in there are older than three years old, but I, I really was like, I figured out like let me let me let me start over. Let me reword this. <laughs> I um I was taking a bunch of pictures and I was drawn to certain things and I couldn't figure out why I was drawn to them. And after a while, I was like, oh, I keep taking pictures of the same thing. Like there's there's got to be a theme here. And so I explored it more and I was like, oh, this is like just about my childhood and mm. just time passing and things changing so rapidly. And, um, that just very quickly turned into like, I was like, oh, I've got a, I've got a project. Like, this is what people talk about when they're like, oh, I, I stumbled upon a photo project. And that was a really cool feeling. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll get this out in six months. Like I'll shoot, I'll shoot all these and it'll be perfect and I'll put it out and it'll look great and everything's going to be awesome. And, uh, three years went by and I was like, the whole time I'm like, I'm close. I'm close. I'm almost there. I almost have what I need, but it just was never, it never felt fully complete. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I got to a point where I was like, I feel like I'm really close, but I also am a perfectionist. And I knew that if I didn't go ahead and uh, make something that I thought was good, I would just go forever. Like I, I would work on it for 10 years. And mm. I, I felt like it was important to, you know, kind of close, close the book and figuratively and literally, I guess, close the book um, on that project. But 
it is a lifelong project. It's something that I, I want to go back to. Um, I'm going to continue to shoot it throughout my whole life and hopefully, you know, do a whole new book, uh, maybe even with the same title and just new images, bigger, um, just a bigger project with it. Um, other than that, like I said earlier, I want to uh, shoot more black and white, um, might look into doing a street photography project um, because that is something I'm very passionate about. Um, it's a little harder to do sometimes, uh, especially in a small town where there's a lot of people. It's kind of kind of hard to do street photography if you if you can't find any people to take pictures of. What you um, do is you do them at uh, at festivals or like fall yeah. fair. Yes, fairs. That is that? Um, Granted, it's probably the easiest cliche going. It's like the fall oh, fair yeah. in Macon, Georgia. I, I yeah live in a well small town over a mm. hundred thousand people now, but you go into the historic downtown and it still feels like a small town but yeah the weekend fall fair makes for great um photography fodder it's not not my favorite genre i need to be in the right mood yeah and just luck would have it have the right film the right camera the right lens i'm a weird in my street photography i shoot my uh, nikon f5 and the 105 f2 lens so not not your traditional street photography rig which is a range finder with a 35 millimeter or 40 millimeter lens yeah. on it. I like to sort of fade into the background. Yeah. I think that's a whole different type of look though. I mean, obviously it's going to render different because it's a, mm. you know, it's a longer focal length, but I also think that's really interesting because not many people are using a focal length that long um, to do street photography. So that I would definitely think that would give you a really cool look. Mm. And it also gives you a whole different perspective because like, you can shoot across the street and people have no idea you're even there. And that's, that's a whole different type of thing than like using a, a 28, um, especially a 28 and just like being all up in people's business. And like, Oh, I, trying I, to took take the a street, I took a street photography workshop about 18 years ago, yeah, 17 years ago, the guy leading it was running it with a Nikon F 90 X, which is sort of like a prosumer, Mm-hmm. It was the one that preceded the Nikon F100, which everyone loves. And he ran with a 22.8 lens. So he really would get, oh you know. My gosh. But the guy looked like Santa Claus. And he had a yeah. British guy. He was sort of almost somewhere between England and Scotland, sort of on those borderlands. And he just had that personality that mm. he could get away with it. Whereas yeah. I need something more like a 35 or a 50. Yeah, I feel like in order to use such a wide lens on the street, you have to either be like really approachable and friendly looking, or you have to be really scary looking so that no one like harasses you or anything. Um, I feel like if you fall anywhere in the middle, it's like, you might get, you might get some bad things said to you. Mm, Totally. I have noticed when I'm shooting on the street though, that it's always funny because I'll be taking a picture of one person and they won't notice. And somebody who's like in the complete opposite direction of my lens will get mad at me for taking a picture of them. And I'm like, I, I wasn't taking a picture of you. You're not, you're not anywhere in the frame. My lens is facing this way and you're over here. Like, it's, it's just funny how, how some people react. Mm. It is. And well, I mean, again, it's that it's the uh, whole thing of, of social media. You don't know yeah. what those images are going to be used for or mm-hmm. how they're going to be. So um yeah it's just it's really good to you know be armed with knowledge be friendly be approachable and just know how to sort of talk people down and if i read it correctly you have a bs in sociology and and psychology yes yes (laughs) (laughs) so oh i'm sorry go ahead you've 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 written some great blog posts about photography and mental health as as well and Mm -hmm. those have really resonated with me so how do you apply this like pretty heavy degree with your photographic work? Yeah, so um, I would say that both my psychology degree and my sociology degree fit in perfectly with the work that I do. Um, and to me, it just, it, it makes sense. Um, I, you know, I was talking about how I'm like drawn to change and time and culture and stuff like that, which is, you know, sociology is all about you know, the macro side of, you know, culture, like as a collective, we do this thing as a collective, we do this thing. And then psychology is more specific to the individual. Um, so I, 
I think that gave me a really broad way of looking at the world where I can focus on one person individually and be like, okay, um, why do they, you know, feel the way that they do? But then also from a sociological perspective, I can look at the, the macro level and be like, oh, this person is in this position because of, you know, socioeconomic status or um, any number of factors that, you know, can, can alter a person's uh, behavior. Um, but I personally think, and I, I've always, I've actually asked a lot of people this, people who aren't even photographers, because I, I've just been trying to figure it out. But I've noticed that a lot of photographers have in psychology, or at least an interest in psychology. And I always wondered why that was. And I have come to the conclusion in my head that it's because like photography, psychology is a, a perfect mix of science, but also art. And I think that's what Whoa. photography is. It's, it's, you've got to know, you know, the technical stuff is very important if you want to get the image that you're looking for, but then there's the whole art side. And I do think that it's possible to make, you know, phenomenal images and not have the technical. Um, there's definitely a lot of photographers that I look up to that just shoot all auto. And I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, I probably have more to say about that, but <laughs> that's all I can think of right now off the top of my head. <laughs> well, then I might be in a minority because I got no interest in psychology whatsoever. <laughs> my training's in information <laughs> technology, um, systems analyst support. Okay. But I just See. describe myself as a guerrilla historian. So I love just, you know. Gotcha the history aspect of it and photography is just in yeah in my blood but that's, I studied that makes sense to me too though science so figure that one yeah. out <laughs> yeah see that's that's also really interesting and like the the themes that y'all are talking about in your work now knowing like the things that y'all are interested in it makes perfect sense yeah um your your subject matter definitely like shows your interest um in history and stuff so i i think that's really cool mm. <clears throat> nice well um I think that wraps it up for um, this episode. Um, Kelsey, where can we find you online? Yeah, you can find me on, probably the best place to find me is probably Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my Twitter is not Kelsey Smith. Um, I wish it wasn't that, but I got stuck with it. And my Instagram is Kelsey Smith Photography. Um, I, you can also find me on YouTube, but I haven't posted in over a year. So I should probably get back to that. Um, other than that, you can just kind of find me around, I guess. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, uh, as always, you can find all the links to Kelsey's um, web and social media presence in our episode notes. Until next time, my name's Alex Oaks. Get out there, stay safe, shoot what you love, and screw the algorithm. It's Bill Smith from the Classic Camera Revival. It's summertime. Don't forget your sunscreen. And of course, a handful of film because there's a lot to shoot while the weather's warm. I'm Kelsey. Thank you for listening. I am very happy that I got to be on this podcast. Huge fan of you guys. Uh, beautiful work. And I would say uh, print your work. I think it's very important. Make physical copies of your work. It's not really clever or funny, but <laughs> I think it's It important. works. It works. <laughs>